croissant. Um, always lopsided. I think this side is warmer, and so everybody gravitates to this side. Uh, these are the these are the warm-blooded people, I guess. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. If you're cold, maybe you can move over here. Um, welcome. Uh, I'm gonna. Last week, uh, I preached on God doing a new thing. You know, um, you know, preached out of Isaiah and, and how he says that. You know, like, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And then last week, uh, last Monday, actually, was also the Super Bowl. So if you guys are Korean, you guys don't know what the Super Bowl is. The Super Bowl is probably the biggest, one of the, probably the biggest sporting event in America. And um, last week, the San Francisco 49ers went up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and during the game, like, you know, we had like a, like a, we can't really even call it a party because there's only three of us. We had a, a, a Super Bowl, like, get-together. And Tiffany mentioned um, that there was a prophecy regarding the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, that Bob Jones, I don't know if you guys know who Bob Jones is, but he's a very prophetic man from long ago. He passed away uh, not that long ago. Um, and he gave this prophetic word to Sean, is it Sean Bolt? Like, many, many times he said, he said at least ten times he gave this prophetic word about the Kansas City Chiefs, and it, the word was that if the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, that revival would break out. Like this is a prophetic word that went out a long time ago, and it's been 50 years since this, the Kansas City Chiefs had won the Super Bowl. It's 50 years ago, and this past America is Sunday here. It was Monday morning. They won the Super Bowl, right? And so, uh, and, and and I was excited because I was rooting for the Chiefs, uh, and and they'd won. And I was thinking, like, you know, like what we need is revival. What we need is revival. And I started thinking, should I preach on revival? It's the Super Bowl. You know, such a good segue. Um, I, I, should, I should preach on revival. And then the Holy Spirit is talking to me. He's like, hey, before we can even tackle revival, uh, I need you to preach about something that, that, uh, that you need to grow in, that we all need to grow in. And it's the topic of prayer. I think it's safe to assume that there has never been revival in this world that did not come, that, that was not preceded by prayer. You know, they're, they're, you, man can produce a revival service, and you know I think we have done it many times in our church. Man can pr- uh, produce a revival service. We can produce like you know preaching and events, but true revival can only come by God, and it's it's brought into this world through prayer. Right? Isaiah fifty six seven it says, "These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer." Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Matthew 21, 13, Jesus himself says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. One of the main pivotal roles of the church is to pray. And Jesus says that the, the markings of his house, right? He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a church. And he says the church that he is coming back to is a church that prays. Now in today's passage, I'm going to talk about it. It comes from Acts chapter 12. And if you look at the book of Acts, right, it's, it, it's short for Acts of the Apostles, right? If you look at the book of Acts, um, it's, and you look at all of the, the, the many things that happened, the miracles, the preaching, the actions of the, the apostles, and the birth of the church, when you really study it, when you read this book, um, and you, you see how the, the apostles operated, and you see how the gospel went out to the nations, two things really stand out when you read the book of Acts. Who's read the book of Acts, by the way, right? 
I did a sermon series on the book of Acts. It's a great book. I always get encouraged when I read the book of Acts. And when two things that really stand out when you read the book of Acts is, one, that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, and two, that they prayed. They prayed. We see their devotion to God through the ministry of prayer. Every act that the apostles do, everything that they did was connected to some prayer that they lifted up in the book of Acts. So basically, without prayer, there would be no book of Acts. And actually, without prayer, there really wouldn't be a church. If you you read through the book of Acts, Acts 1.24, they're praying before choosing new leaders, right? You know, Judas is gone, you know, and and they're looking for new leaders. Acts 4.31, after persecution breaks out, they pray for boldness, right? And great, you know, all this growth comes out. Acts 6.6, 6, they're praying for choosing of new leaders. And, and Acts 9.40, praying for signs and wonders. And, and it results in, like, you know, more people coming to the Lord and more people being saved. You know, in Acts 10.11, uh, the whole thing with Cornelius. And this is the, the Gentiles being grafted into to Christianity. It's like if the gospel is, he, he, they're, ju- they're jumping the, the, the racial barrier from only the Jews to now to all the Gentiles. And, and every aspect of this is is devoted to prayer. Uh, Acts 12, 12, praying for the release of Peter from prison. And we're actually going to talk about today. Acts 13, 1 through 3, praying before setting aside the first mission ch- team, right? Paul and Barnabas, right? They pray, they lay hands on them, they pray, and they send them out. Pray, uh, Acts 14, 23, praying before setting aside new believers in the new church. Acts 16, praying in prison, resulting in the conversion of the, of the jailer, right? And his family and his friends and, and all the people. Acts 20, praying when pre- departing from uh, a church to be, pre- preparing for a church to be planted. Acts 21, praying when, when commending Paul to do this thing where he's supposed to go to Jerusalem and, and he knows that he's going to go and he's going to be persecuted and he's going to be put into prison and yet the church prays um, as, he, as he goes. Acts 22, praying in worship and receiving guidance as a future ministry plan. Acts 28, 8, praying for signs and wonders, right? And we know that signs and wonders broke out. This is like the book of Acts. This is, this is the apostles. And, and when we read the book of Acts, we see that so much of what they did came out of a place of prayer. Right? These apostles, they've spent three years with Jesus Christ, right? For three years, they traveled with Jesus. They ate with him. And they did all these things. And they realized something, right? Right? As they... As they observed Jesus, they realized that Jesus prayed a lot. Right? They would wake up in the morning, they'd be like, where's Jesus? And I was like, oh, he's gone. He's, he's up in the mountain, he's praying, right? He will, he's the first to wake up, and he's the first to go out and pray. And they realized that, that when, God, when Jesus would go up and pray and spend time with God and come back, that, that when, when he would minister, amazing things would happen. Right? This crazy thing. They were like, this, this, is, this is incredible, right? Like all of this God things, miracles, signs, and wonders would happen when Jesus would go up and pray. And he'd come back and amazing things would happen. And so the disciples asked Jesus one thing. They asked, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They didn't ask him how to do miracles. They didn't ask him how to multiply bread and fish. You know, like, I'll never go hungry again. You know, I know, I know how to, like, you know, multiply bread or turn water into wine. Right, how to cast out demons. The one thing that they asked him to, for him to teach them was, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Right? Because they had made this connection between Jesus' prayer life 
and the crazy miracle signs and wonders that would come through him. And as these disciples, they grew up and become, they became apostles, right? And, and, and as they helped build the church, you realize that the one thing that really rubbed off on the apostles, the three years that they were walking with him and you know, sleeping near him and eating with him and doing ministry with him, the one thing that really rubbed off on the apostles as in the three years that they spent with Jesus was, the, was that Jesus' prayer was very important to Jesus. And in essence, it became very important to the disciples, to the apostles. And we see that in the passage that we're going to look at today. It's from Acts 12, starting with verse 1. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'll read it to you guys. I'm going to read it the ESV. because That's the version that a lot of us are stuck with because our church at one point was, you know, we were, we were on the ESV. And I'll read it for you. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hand on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The ESV is considered one of the most uh, the literal interpretation of the Bible, but it's also the one that sounds most like Yoda. Um, but earnest prayer to him was made to God by the church. It's very like mixed up and jumbled. But when we read here in the book of Acts, like like we, we see Herod, right? This is not the same Herod that, that from the Christmas stories a long time ago. This is a Herod, um, you know, that was great. The Herod the Great, right? Herod the Great. Um, was like the main Herod a long time ago. And then he had three sons, and there were these little, you know, Herod boys uh, that, he, that, he, that his kingdom kind of went to. Right? Caesar in Rome, is too, they didn't have, like, communicate. They didn't have cacao talk back then. They didn't have emails. So there was no way for Caesar to rule, like, like Judea. You know, it, it would take them, like, months to even just get to Judea. So he would, like, like, get these, like, you know, they were called client kings to rule certain areas on behalf of Caesar. Well, Herod was the guy chosen to rule this area. And then he had three sons, and he passed um, the, the kingdom onto them, you know, like certain, king, certain Herods. Herod is like, it's a family name, right? And so if this was Korea, this would all be like Kim, right? It's like, it would be like Kim the Great or Lee the Great, right? Um, so all of these, like, Herods, like, came down. And, and when you read the Bible, and this is an example of when, when, a, when a man is just evil and demonized and just, just messed up, right, it can easily pass on to their children, right? Because when you read anything to do with Herod in the Bible, there's some nasty people, right? And so, you know, when you read this book, um, you know, in, in, in the gospel, you see that uh, one of Herod's wife is the one that's responsible for having John the Baptist murdered, right? He's like, hey, you know, like, I want to see his head on a plate. You know, his, her name was Herodia, right? <laughs> Not very... Like uh, you know, original when it comes to names back then, but um, this the 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 Herod from Acts 12 is actually the nephew of the woman that had John the Baptist killed, and so we see this lineage of just just evil, um, just is there just demonized, there's just bad and nasty people, 
and it's just passed down to their family, to their wives, to their children. And this is actually the grandson of Herod the Great, right? And this guy, he's also a nasty guy, and he he goes and he's ruling over Judea, and he wants to keep the Jews happy, right? Because you know the Jews are the people that he's ruling over, right? He's and so he wants to keep them happy, and so he goes and he has James murdered. Not executed, he's just murdered, right? Nothing he did wrong, he just goes and he murders him, right? He, he kills him w- with the sword, and then this makes the Jews really happy. They're like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, James is dead. And so, so Herod, he realizes, wow, this is actually making the, the Jews happy. And so he actually arrests Herod, Peter and said, you know, after the Passover, I'm going to take him out to the people, and then I'm going to have him killed as well. And so now peace and, you know, like, quiet and just like, you know, it's going to be, everybody's going to go back to normal. Everybody's, all of this, like, you know, persecution and brouhaha about the church is going to be settled. And so Herod thinks that, you know, if, as long, if if he can go and, you know, have, have Peter murdered, that um, everything will go back to, will be, will be back to normal. And so he has Peter arrested and Peter is sitting in prison and, and, and he knows what's going to happen to him, right? What happened to James? James got murdered, right? So, so basically, Peter's in prison, and he knows what happened to James. He knows what's going to happen to him. He's in shackles. He's surrounded by all these guards. It says four squads of soldiers. could be anywhere from 12 to 16 to 20 soldiers that are surrounding him. And Peter most likely is going to be killed, just like James. But, there's a but. But, everybody say but. There's that important word but. It's one of the words that really changes everything in the Bible, right? It's a conjunction, right? A but is a conjunction. It's a, it's a, by definition, it introduces a new phrase or clause contrasting which, with what has already been mentioned. So Peter's most likely going to be dead, Peter's most likely going to be killed, but it's introducing a new contrasting thing that's about to happen. And, it's, and, and, and it said, but the church prayed. But the church gathered and they prayed earnestly for Peter. When you read the Bibles, when we read the Bible, words like but and however are very important, especially when it's followed by God. But God is one of the most important two words in the Bible. But God. But God. So many times we read in the Bible where but God shifts everything. And this is ju- I'm just going to give you a few examples. Genesis 7:24, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And the very next verse says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts of the livestock. Are with him in the ark. Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me. This is Joseph talking. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not love you and choose you because you were out, you outnumbered other peoples. You were the smallest nation on earth, but the Lord loved you and wanted to keep the promise that he made with your ancestors. 1 Samuel 23. David stayed in the desert stronghold and in the hills of the desert Sif. Day after day, saw a search for him. Why? To kill him. But God did not give David into his hand. 
My flesh and my heart fail, Psalm 73, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jonah 2.6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Matthew 19, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Acts 3.15, you kill the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Ephesians 2 says, you are, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, right? But God. How many of you guys want a but God in your life? How many of you guys need a but God in your life? We have to know that our circumstances do not get the last word, but God, but God gets the last word. It doesn't matter what is against us. It doesn't matter what our circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter how rocky your marriage is. It doesn't matter what kind of predicament that you find yourselves in, but God. Let me tell you, like the church in Acts 12, if you want to inject the but God into your life, you need to pray. The only way that you're going to get a but God in your life is if you pray. Prayer is where we tap into the supernatural power of God. In Mark chapter 9, right, this man, he brings his son to, to Jesus' disciples. He, his son is mute, right? And he, send, he takes him to the disciples, and the disciples try to cast out this demon, and they can't do it. And, and, and so then the man takes him to Jesus, and he says, and then the father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> he believes, help his unbelief. <laughs> Who's felt like that before with God, right? I believe, help my unbelief. This is another example of how, of how Jesus sees our faith. You know, it's, it's, Jesus doesn't see like, hey, you need to have this big faith. You need to have the grand faith. Your faith has to be big. He says, even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Because it has less to do with the size of your faith, but have everything to do with who your faith is in. And I'm going to talk more about this later on. I'm getting off the topic. But this father is like, I believe. Right? I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? And so Jesus heals the boy. And the disciples come up to Jesus in private and they ask him, Hey, Jesus, like, how, how come we couldn't cast out this demon? Like, why, why couldn't we do it? And then Jesus tells them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Other versions add fasting to that, fasting and prayer. But the word fasting is, isn't really in the original Greek. But I believe that the heart of it is there. He's saying certain things in your life, Certain obstacles in your life, certain things that you encounter in your life, right? These, these things, you're not, you're not going to be able to get past it. You're not going to be able to break into it. Certain things will not happen in your life without prayer and fasting. 
And this is talking about our maturity in Christ. We can stay at a level with Jesus. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He's like, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, right? We can stay at that level, right? We can stay at, at like uh, Alia, all, all, all right? We can be like Alia, right? She drinks milk. That's all she drinks, six months, right? We can stay like that forever, or we can go deeper with God. You know, I've known people that have been going to church for, for decades, but they're still at this level with Jesus where they're just still drinking milk. They're just still at this level where they have not gone deep in, into, the, into the places that God wants them to go. But here's the thing. You can enjoy God's love. You can enjoy his goodness. You can enjoy his mercy. You can enjoy his grace. But if you want to know God's will, you need to pray. That's why Jesus taught them to pray. He's like, Jesus teaches how to pray. He's like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to know what God's will is for your life and for his kingdom on this earth, you have to go deep in prayer with God. If you want to see heaven on earth, you have to go deep in prayer. If you want to see God's kingdom here on this earth, and you want to be part of his divine plan, you want to be part of what God is doing on this earth, and you, and you want to do it with God, you have to go deep in prayer with God. You have your circumstances, you have your obstacles, you have your oppositions. We all have them, right? We all have things, right, that, that we can't get past, right? I, I believe everybody has something. They all, we all are facing some obstacles. Some people, they just might not show it. At, like, they just might not be so, you know, like, like public as everybody else. But everybody, we all have obstacles. And if we're going to get past that obstacle, if we want God to break in and say, but God did this, right? If we want to see that, we have to go deep in prayer with God. This is important. Prayer is not about God, like, like God, us praying to God and God changing his mind, right? It's God changing us. As we are communicating with God, as we are in tune with God, we learn and we understand and we walk out God's will in our lives. Prayer changes us. We don't change God's mind. Prayer changes our mind. Prayer renews our mind. And so many times we pray and we think that we're, we're going to change God's mind. We pray and we ask God, God, do this. God, do this, but do it like this, right? How many of you guys have said that to God before, right? I, I do it all the time. God, I want you to answer my prayer, but I want you to do it in these steps. A, B, C. There's a correlation down here. I want you to keep an eye on this, right? This, this is a flow, right? You're going to do it like this. We go to God, and we, we want to try to convince God. We want to try to, no, God is unchanging. There's nothing we can do to change God, change, change like, like the way that we, his mind's not going to change. He's everything. He knows everything. He knows how everything's going to happen. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. What he wants to change is us. As we pray and as we know his will in our lives, all of a sudden we change and we start to see everything and everyone and the world that we live around us, we start to see it completely differently. And all of a sudden we think, oh, God changed his mind. No, God changed you. God changed and renewed your mind. And we go to God and we say, God, I want you to do this for me. But what God wants is he wants us to go deeper in prayer where we know his heart so that we say to God, Lord, God, 
I want your will in my life. Let your will be done in my life. May your will be done in me and through me. You know, this is, this is the difference between petition and intercession. When we first come to Christ, when we were young, our prayers were generally petition. We petition things to God. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication or petition with, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And James asks, you do not have because you do not ask. This is in James 4, 2. However, he qualifies what he says, and he says, when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you got, got in, on your pleasures. Right? So this is us petitioning to God. We petition to God. And let me tell you, petition isn't bad, right? right? When we're young and when we don't know any better, we, this is just the way that we communicate with God. Petition isn't bad. God wants us to ask him. God wants us to petition him. A lot of times, petition is, is one-sided. And when I was young, every night I would pray the same prayer. Who did this when you were really young? Elementary school, middle school. I would have this recited word for word. would never be different every night. I'd be like, dear God, please protect my mom. Please protect my dad. Please protect my sister. Protect my grandparents, my my aunts and uncles. I'd go down this list, and it would be the same every night. And I thank you for everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I would recite this prayer every night almost like to a T. Right? There'd be really no difference. And sometimes I'd feel guilty, and I would switch certain words around, but it was basically the same thing. This is petition, right? This is how we petition God sometimes. But then we grow up, we mature, and then sometimes, you know, our, like, like our, as we mature, our communication with God changes. And, and, and we mature, and we get to a place where our prayer becomes a, a personal dialogue with God, where we talk with him, like, He's a real human being, right? He's not like this vending machine that we go and be like, God, I want this, and I want this, and we wait for it down here, right? No, we, we start to have a personal dialogue with God. And this, this type of prayer life is very important. This is our connection with God throughout the day. A lot of times we hear God when we pray like this, when we're spending our day. Like, there'll be times when I'll be walking down the street, you know, like, you know, you're walking down a meadow, and and the sun is shining on you, and, and, and the flowers are in bloom, and you look up, and there's a rainbow, and you're like, oh, God, you love me so much. I love you. And you, you just experience his love, and you experience his goodness in your life, and you're just like living, and you're walking out this prayer with God throughout the day. Right? I, used, I used to have these long prayers. You know, when I used to do dishes, I used to work at Sharky's, and sometimes at the end of the night, there'd be like a stack of dishes like this. And I would sit there, and I would do the dishes, and then God would just like, Come and I'd be like, God, I would have these long conversations with God. I'd be like, oh, God, you love me so much and all this stuff. And you're just in this, this is like a personal dialogue with God. This type of prayer life is very important, right? We all need to have, this is when we mature out of petition, we get into this personal dialogue, personal conversations that we have with God. But there is still yet a deeper level of prayer that we must go. And that is intercession. Everybody say intercession. Intercession is even more personal. This is where we not only tap into the love and the grace of God, this is where we tap into the will of God. This is where we feel and we manifest the burden to pray. This is a sacrificial prayer. This is where we go down to the depths of God where he allows us to experience his heart. Where deep calls on to deep. 
This is where God allows us to understand not only what God loves, but also the things that break his heart. True intercessors hear from God. They sense the burden to pray, and they continue in prayer until the burden leaves. And some people are called to be intercessors. My wife, Mina, I believe that she is called to be an intercessor. Because for her, prayer sometimes is laser-focused. She'll just be like, I'm supposed to pray for this. And I'm like, okay, coming out of that field. And she prays for that. And then, like, within a week, it's like God answers that prayer. And she's also very prophetic. She's way more prophetic than me. And God will give her a burden to pray for something. And it's very specific, like super specific. And she will pray. And it comes to pass. Brothers and sisters, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are supposed to pray and manifest God's kingdom and God's will upon this earth through our prayers. This is a level of prayer where we tap into his will. It's not focused on us. It's not focused on what we want to, what, to try to get what we need, right? But it's primarily focused on, on seeing God and seeing his will come to pass on this earth. And you know what? Not everybody is called to be an intercessor, right? But we're all called to intercede, amen? As a church, we're called to talk, take all the junk and the mess that's out in the world, and we're called to pray and, and, and bring God's kingdom down upon this earth. It says, but the church prayed. And we're supposed to birth but gods into this earth. Amen. Korea's education system is sometimes it can be so very like challenging for kids and it's like you see all these kids that are just depressed but God you see people and you see somebody's marriage and they're just their marriage is just horrible and they're just fighting all the time and and they, they just it, and it, like like you feel like they might actually get a divorce but God you see your teenager, you know, or, or your child, and they're in rebellion, and, and they're doing all these crazy things, but you pray, and you birth a but God. There's power in prayer, where despite circumstances, despite what we see in the natural, we pray for God's will to come. And that is the type of church Jesus wants us to be. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of what? House of pancakes? No. Right? House of like, you know, like fellowship? No. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Right? And when a, when a church prays, when a church intercedes, things happen. I want to give you an example of a church that prayed. I have never been to this church. Right? I've never, I, I have never seen this church. But I know this church very where it was. My mom's church. Now, when when I was in LA and I was really messing up, I was like I was like hooked on drugs and doing all these crazy things, like stealing cars and all these bad things. Right? My mom started to pray. Because my mom uh, had this crazy revival in her life. Sometimes when I was in high school, she went to a retreat, came back like a fanatic for Jesus. Stopped watching all her Korean videos. Right? Stopped immediately. Right? It was crazy. I was like, oh, she really is saved. Right? <laughs> Because she would watch, she would go and get like a whole 
back then they had video cassettes of Korean videos. She'd get the whole series, right? She'd wait until the end, and she'd watch like three a night, every night, on the dot. And she would sit there crying. <laughs> I'll come out to get a snack, and she'd just be in a crying. I'm like, why are you crying? It's like, Aah. she was hooked on these videos. But when she came back from this retreat, she transformed. Life completely different. Right? She started praying. God's getting her ready for what was going to happen because my life went off the rails, right? When I went to college, right? Literally went off the rails, right? Started doing all these drugs, started doing all this crazy. My, my life literally spiraled out of control. Now, there would be like months where I wouldn't even talk to my mom. Back then, we had just had pagers, and I just sold my pager for like 20 bucks to get some dope, right? I don't know what happened. There's no way for her to be in communication with me. And so she would pray, God, make him go to jail so he will call me, right? And my mom told me that she prayed that. And when I first went to jail, I told the story. I called, and she's like, you're in jail, right? And I was like, how did you know, right? right? But then my mom, right, she not, not only prayed alone, but she prayed with a bunch of women that went to her church. Right? And, and, and they would commiserate because they also had sons that were in rebellion. They also had sons. My mom knew that I was on, like, the type of drug that I was doing because she described it to the lady in her prayer group, and she's like, oh, my son is on that. That's really bad, right? And so, like, they would come together, and they would pray, and they would commiserate, and they would, like, lift up prayers to the Lord. And you know what happened? All right, I got arrested again, right? And this time, I went to prison. And my mom was like, you know what? I was actually happy that you were in prison because you'd be, you'd be off that dope. You'd be off the drugs. And, and I would at least know where you were. And my mom would come visit me every weekend or at least once a month, right? Sometimes she would come more than once. She'd come visit me. And, and, and we would talk and, and all this stuff. But, but like, they're, they're, that church group never stopped praying for me. Right? They never stopped praying for me. And then I got deported, had to come to Korea. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, I started coming to church. And all of a sudden, I became a pastor. And now I'm preaching to you guys. But you know what? I would get these phone calls once in a while from these old ladies. They would call me and go, hey, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are. I've been praying for you. For many years. And they would come and they would tell me stories about my mom talking to them. I'm crying again. Right? It's two weeks in a row. With my mom, how my mom would break down and she's like, My son, my son is in trouble. Can you help me? And they would get together and they would pray for me. There'd be like 30 women in this group. I don't know why they're all women. I don't know. But they would all come and they were they were praying for me. I had no idea. I had no idea these women were praying for me, but she would call me and say, You know what? I pray for you. You know, when, I, when, when your mom was in trouble, I, I would go and we would gather and we would pray for you. And I'm so glad that you turned out well here in Korea. You know, and they would all come in like, hey, I want to give you a gift. Here's, here's some money. Buy, some, buy something nice for your wife and your kids. This happens on a regular basis. This happens for a while. I was getting like old lady phone calls like three times a year because they visit Korea and they're like, hey, I want to, you live in Busan, so I can't go all the way down there. They're old, right? They can't take the KTX. But they're like, I wanted to at least talk to you because I heard, I heard that you became a pastor. And he's like, I remember praying for you that you would stop doing drugs. And I would pray, pray for you as you went to prison. And I was there praying for you. as you got deported, and then your mom loved you so much that we prayed for you. That is the power of prayer. I stand before you right now being able to preach to you guys. I am an anomaly, you know that? I'm not supposed to be here doing this. Do you know that? I really am not. I'm not supposed to be up here. You know why? 
Because statistically, I'm an anomaly, right? This is, this, is, this is bonkers when it comes. People get deported. They'll come to me, and they're like, they see what I'm doing, and they're like, how did you end up doing this? And I'm like, I don't know. I really don't know. But I know it's because, you know, there, there's people that were praying for me, and there's a connection that has been there for many years where God heard the prayers of these old women. These ladies, and they would get on their knees and they would pray for a guy. But they didn't even know. They never met me. I haven't even met them once. And yet, their prayers changed my life. And I, I guarantee you, it's their prayers that shifted and shaped the life that I live now. I was able to see God when I came to Korea because they were praying for me. I could have come back and just like done whatever, you know, done the same thing. I, I, had, this, I had this thing where like God... God is saying, like, hey, this is, this is your chance. This is your chance to change. Right? And when you read the rest of Acts 12, God sends an angel to Peter in prison, and he breaks him out, right? He breaks out of prison, and he comes to, you know, the, where all the apostles are praying together. All of the disciples are gathered together. They're praying. And he comes to the gates, and then there's this girl. Her name is Rhoda. She's a servant girl. And, and Peter's there knocking. And then she hears his voice. And he's like, oh, that's Peter. And the homegirl is so excited. She doesn't even open the gate for her, right? She just leaves him there. And he runs to the, the, the apostles. And he's like, hey, Peter's here. Peter's at the gate. And you know what the apostles tell her? Are you out of your mind? That's what they say. That's literally in the Bible. They say, are you out of your mind? They don't believe her. And I talked about this earlier where the father of the boy said, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? Sometimes we don't feel the faith to pray. We get disillusioned. We get numb. We just don't have the faith to pray. That faith to pray seems like a mustard seed. You know what I say to that? Pray anyways. Jesus says, even if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, and that's tiny, guys. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. It's tiny that we can move mountains. And sometimes we just have to go to God and say, I believe, help my unbelief. And the apostles were gathered praying for Peter, and Peter comes to the gate, and they say to the servant girl, are you out of your mind? Peter's not there. I'll bet those apostles that were praying, they felt like their faith was really small. Because they weren't expecting God to move. They were just praying for Peter. They were just they were begging God, God, free the man, free the man. And even when it happens, they're like, are you out of your minds? But they earnestly prayed anyways, because it's not about the size of our faith. It's all about who our faith is in. Brothers and sisters, God wants to see a revival for prayer in our church. Last week, we started our Sunday morning prayer meeting. It happens at 1 p.m. every Sunday. Because Mina felt that we needed to gather as a church to pray, even if it's just the two of us. And last week, it was almost just the two of us. I think it was just four of us in here. But I want to encourage you guys to come out when you can and pray with us, intercede with us. 
personally, my prayer life these days has not been the best. It's become a duty. Sometimes I have to, something that I have to do to write my sermons, I have to pray, right? I have to pray to prepare, so I pray. And, you know, like throughout the day, I get it, I get it, I sit in my office and I pray to God. Like, like help me, what, how are you speaking to me? But it actually has become a thing of work for me. And you know what? I felt, I feel like these days, the father of that new boy, I believe, help my unbelief. And I don't, although I don't feel it all there right now, I feel a call to pray and fast. And I told Mina, you know, Mina is an, an intercessor and a prophetic person, and these things hit her before me. Right? And she started fasting last week. <laughs> and I'm a week behind. I'm thick-headed, so God gave me a, a sharp wife, right? And I feel like God is calling me personally. This is just me personally to fast. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. But church, let us be a church that Je- when Jesus comes back, you know, imagine when Jesus comes back, he's like, hey, that's my church. He's not going to recognize us by, you know, anything but the fact that we are a praying church. We, we, we gather and we pray, and in our personal life, we pray. And in, in our life, we are in communication with him. Because he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. I guarantee you, when we gather and when we really go into a life of prayer, things will change around us. Things will change. We're, we're hoping, we, earlier in the prayer meeting, for the next six months, we, we have, you know, we're, there's a very, very important season for the next six months for this church, right? Our sanctuary comes due in September, right? And we have to think about, are we going to move out of here? And what are we going to do? And are we even going to stay as a church? Our numbers are small. There's a lot of stuff that's, that, that when I think about it, I get all anxious and I get stressed, right? But then God is saying, hey, put it in my hand and just pray. Gather together and pray. And I can guarantee you things will happen around you. So today I want to close, but I want to close in a different way. I want us to close with a time of prayer. Tiffany, if you can come up. And I want us to, first of all, let's all close our eyes. And, and I want us to, to respond to the message a bit. <laughs> 